and welcome to the podcast edition of Political Debrief. I'm your host, Josh Oliverio. Today, I am very excited to welcome a very special guest onto the show. Today, I am speaking with the Speaker of the House of Commons, Anthony Rhoda, who very generously took time out of his busy first week back in Ottawa to chat with me. We talked about a bunch of topics, including why young people should care about the office of the speaker, why he became speaker, and also we talked a little bit about how to make question period a little bit more watchable. Hope you enjoy our conversation now. All right, and Anthony Rhoda joins me now. Mr. Speaker, thanks so much for taking the time for Political Debrief. Thank you, Josh, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So first of all, for those of us that might not be aware, why should what is your role? Why should people care about your role? Well, it's important. Uh, the, the, the role of the speaker is rather diverse, and uh, there's three main components of it. The first one, of course, is what everyone sees in the house. Basically, I'm the referee who takes care of uh, decorum in the chamber, making sure that debate takes place in a very uh, civilized manner and that people follow the rules of uh, debate. Uh, in the House, because what happens is the House has put together rules uh, that they have to follow, and uh, it allows people to uh, debate and not have to worry about uh, things happening to them or people shouting them down or basically making sure that it's civil. Robert's Rules is very similar to what we used, so that works out very well. Uh, the other role that I have is uh, one of, of uh, diplomacy. I meet with a lot of um, people who come from other countries. Sometimes it's their prime ministers, their presidents, uh, their uh, speakers. Uh, they come through. There's two people that they want to meet when they come to uh, Canada. One is the prime minister, of course. And then the next one is the speaker, both of the Senate and of the House of Commons. And it usually works out fairly well. And again, that diplomatic mission, uh, what it does is it opens doors between countries. It allows us to talk to each other, to get to learn from each other, and actually grow together. And that's something that uh, is very important uh, to any democracy and any relationship between two countries. Also, I travel quite a bit to other countries. Uh, this summer, I was in Italy and met with their president and their speaker. Uh, in uh, and then I, I met with the Emperor of Japan when I was in Japan along with the speaker over there for the G7 uh, meeting and uh, again meeting with other speakers we exchange stories we exchange practices and uh, we learn from each other like there's no use making mistakes that someone else has made uh, when you know uh, that they did it a certain way sometimes you tweak it a bit and it works out well, especially during COVID where it was all brand new territory to all of us. And we got to know each other, not so much in person, but virtually. So even to this day, uh, I've gotten to know a lot of people around the world without actually leaving my office, which is much like we're doing right now, which is kind of cool when you think about it. The other thing that uh, people don't often see uh, from the speaker is I chair the Board of Internal Economy. The speaker chairs the board that covers all the uh, precinct, the whole of the hill, which is a budget of about $518 million. So half a billion dollars, and it involves everything from restaurants here to, uh, to uh, uh, administration, to the clerks, everything that pertains to uh, an MP 
doing his or her job and making sure that they have all the resources behind them. And it includes the security uh, people uh, who make sure that everybody is safe on the hill. And that's something that uh, we take very seriously because uh, if an MP can't come to work and feel safe, uh, it makes it very difficult for them. So those are the three main areas of uh, uh, a speaker's job. And then I guess, you know, panning back a little bit into the House of Commons in general, why should young people care what happens in the House of Commons? It affects them every day. I mean, everything that happens in the House affects them. I mean, whether it's laws that are made uh, as far as how taxes are implemented, uh, how, what they can do, what age they can, uh, they can take part in certain activities. So when you look at it, the decisions that get made in Parliament affect them on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's not only here in Ottawa. When you look at it at the provincial level, there's laws that are made there. How young can I drive or how late do I have to wait before I drive? The speed limits uh, that are set on highways. Uh, and then, of course, there's a different level. There's the municipal level that looks at municipalities. And each level has different responsibilities. Some of them overlap, but more than anything, they each have their own responsibilities and it affects everyday lives. So when I come to Ottawa, my job is to look at the legislation that's there as an MP and make sure that the riding that I live in is well represented. Because if it's going to help one riding and not another, then there's a conflict there. So the role of the MP is to say, okay, look, this law is going to work or we may have to change this. Why do young people have to get involved? So that they can influence that, whether it's helping the MP in the writing, sometimes they can help uh, in Ottawa, sometimes they can join a party, sometimes they can just be part of a protest group. As long as they know what they're talking about and they can say, we don't like a certain thing, then it has a very good effect on the legislation because it forces everyone to listen and know exactly what changes to make so that it works for everyone. And I think you touched on a couple uh, in your previous answer, but I'll ask you anyway, so we can get some more uh, information. What are some ways that young people can get involved uh, with the work that the House of Commons does? Uh, at the House of Commons, they can volunteer. They can become pages. Uh, just yesterday or on Sunday, I swore in uh, 40 pages who help on the Hill. And I know there's a lot of volunteers who work with members of parliament. There's people who work for members of parliament, uh, some of them part-time, some of them full-time, but uh, it, it really does have an influence on that. But uh, not only in parliament can they do that, they can actually take part if they get involved in their own community. Uh, let's say they're in their riding or at their home and there's a committee that they want to take part in they can take part in it and actually become part of the solution and have some influence on what the outcome is. And um, as you mentioned, MPs in the House of Commons, they debate legislation, whatnot, they take their seats in the House. Um, you're also an MP, right? You're the MP for Nipissing Timiskaming, I'm pretty sure. You did that well. Um, but you have a different seat in the House. You have a seat at the front. Um, I think, I'm sure you think this too, I think it's a little bit of a better seat. I've stood in your spot before. I think it's a cool spot. Um, 
But you can't take any sort of position on any issues that are before the House. You need to be a neutral third party. So how are the people of uh, Nipissing to Miskaming represented by MP Anthony Rhoda? Well, you know, the nice thing about being speaker is uh, you don't vote on issues, on, on anything, on uh, bills, unless there's a tie. And then that's when you come in and you vote. And normally the tradition is that the speaker will vote to keep the discussion uh, going. So it's not definite. It's not stopping anything. It's want, They want to keep everything going. But uh, one of the main roles of an MP is to make sure that their writing is represented. And some of the ways to do that is in the House. Some of them is speaking directly to the ministers and making sure that they understand what's going on in the uh, in your writing so that they, when they're drafting the legislation or making changes to the legislation, they know what is going on. And one of the things that's... Uh, that uh, happens with me as speaker is sometimes I'll say like, you know, oh, uh, would uh, you mind uh, taking a few minutes to speak with me? And most speak, most ministers will not say no to the minister because you don't want to upset the, the, the speaker, right? <laughs> and because that person controls whether you speak in the house or whatnot, and there's so many other things, but just out of respect more than anything else, uh, and more often than not, it'll happen after question period where I'll ask a certain uh, minister, would you have a few minutes to meet with me? We'll sit down and I'll say, look, here's the issues I'm having with this legislation or what's going on in my writing that really should be represented within this legislation and it's not. And usually a five minute discussion turns into 10, 15, 20 minutes and the minister has a good understanding of what's going on in the uh, in the um, in the chamber. The other thing too is, uh, had I not been speaker, you would have no idea what Nipissing Tamiskaming is, where it is, whatever. But it's bringing uh, a highlight to the writing. So people like Josh Alavera will know where Nipissing Tamiskaming is, and it raises the profile of the writing, which I think a lot of people really appreciate. And maybe we'll jump to that for a minute. Do you want to share with us something I usually do with my guests, but I didn't do with you? Do you want to tell us one thing about Nipissing Tamiskaming? It's the best writing in the country, of course, and any 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 member of parliament who doesn't think that his uh, writing is the best country, uh, spe uh, sorry, his writing is the best one in the country, then he doesn't deserve to represent it. But uh, like I said, uh, it's, it's perfectly located. When you look at North Bay, it is the crossroads of Highway 11 and Highway 17. So from Ottawa, it's about three and a half hours. From Toronto, it's about three hours and 15 minutes. And I like to think of it as the heart of, uh, of Ontario and the heart of Canada, because anybody transporting from one place to another has to go through North Bay uh, at some point. The other thing we have is a lot of lakes, a lot of wilderness, uh, and uh, we have a lot of small companies. And uh, here's an interesting fact for you. We have the highest number of engineers per capita than any other city in Canada. Why? Because of the mining industry. We don't have any mines in North Bay, but what happens is uh, the uh, mining industry has a lot of engineers and they usually like to stay somewhere nice and that's North Bay. So that's where they're located because we have an airport with a, a six, uh, 10,000 foot runway, we can bring in big planes so mining equipment can be brought out. Uh, we have regular air service 
everything works very well from uh, North Bay. Now that's North Bay. The riding itself goes about 13,000 square kilometers, so it's quite uh, large. The next group of uh, cities is uh, Timiskaming Shores, which is a beautiful uh, city on the uh, the lake uh, on Lake Timiskaming. And uh, it is, again, uh, one of the most beautiful parts of the country, I think. And, well, I'll say I know. Uh, one of the things that uh, is, is uh, I could go on for hours, so I'll just stop with the next one. Uh, NORAD, uh, the North American uh, Surveillance for the Airspace of North America, is based in North Bay as well as in Colorado and uh, in Colorado Springs. So we have one base that's Canadian one base that's American, but in both bases you can have American and Canadian troops working side by side to make sure that our airspace uh, doesn't get uh, in, it doesn't get intruded upon. That's great. Thanks for sharing. I, I think that's the most in-depth answer that I've gotten on that question, so I really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm very um, proud of where I come from. Yeah. Uh, I could go on for another hour if you like, but I think we only have so much time. Yeah, I know. You're, I'm sure you're a super busy person right now. Um, so I guess jumping back, what, because I think that's something that a lot of people might not know about the speaker or the, the election of the speaker Ooh. is that it's, it's less, you have to opt out to be the speaker if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So I'll, I'll phrase my question a little bit differently. What made you not want to not be the speaker? Well, you know what, uh, it's uh, everybody plays different roles in parliament. And uh, one of the things I've always found with myself in parliament is I'm not one of these hyper-partisan people who wants to kind of jump on the other side and bash the other side uh, or come out about the party. It's more about bringing people together. And it's something that I've always done. Uh, I've made a point of it when there's something that's going on and uh, there's some differences, I want to know what the common ground is so that we can all come to that common ground and then work out our differences or see what differences we can live with in order to bring stuff to get some solutions. And that's something that as, uh, as an MP works out well. So I was often the emissary that went over to say, hey, look, where can we uh, come together on this? And doing that, you make a lot of friends on both sides. And to me, that's something that's important. So as speaker, I get to be that person that tries to bring people together and tries to maintain uh, some civility in the chamber so that we can accomplish something as opposed to just sitting there and arguing and not getting to something. Uh, and to me, uh, I remember when I first got here, I thought, wow, the speaker, he's right up there next to God. I mean, he's really something. And one thing you realize after a while is the speaker is just another person who happens to be the speaker. Uh, but I thought, hey, I bet you I can do that. And I have, I've chaired a number of committees uh, over the years, both in Parliament and prior to getting here. And I've gotten a lot of comments on uh, how well it went when I was chairing committees. So I thought, you know what, I bet you I could do that. And uh, I was uh, Assistant Deputy Speaker for a while and then uh, took over as Speaker uh, back in 2019. And I think probably when people recognize you the most or for me it's when i hear your voice i know that question period's on right question period is kind of what canadians think of when they think of the house of commons you know the opposition on one side 
kind of criticizing the government, government criticizing them back, you know, the, debating the issues. And it's the, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's the part of the house that gets the most televised. I'm sure you would agree with that as well. Um, it is. It's got the highest profile. Like I said, now people know where Nipissing Tamiskaming is. They know where, uh, where I come from. And uh, it's interesting you say that because I was at a meeting not too long, or a meeting, it was an event. And uh, I was talking with someone and all of a sudden this lady turns around and says, that voice, I remember, I recognize that voice. <laughs> and oh, and then she came over to talk to me. So it was, it was kind of interesting. It was uh, quite, uh, quite uh, I, I want to say comical, but it was, it was quite an honor to have that happen. I think you know that you're a celebrity, at least when you know, someone recognizes you in public, like, hey, you're on TV, whatever. Uh, anyway, but question period is, I think, by many people regarded as a time where um, the House of Commons isn't seen in the best light. And I I was in Ottawa. Oh, it was budget day back in March. Um, and I remember walking in at 7 p.m. at night, the night before I walked into the chamber. Um, and there were like six MPs in the chamber. And I remember it, it was like a legitimate debate. I don't remember what the, what the legislation was, but it was like a legitimate debate. There were like, and then after the fact, I saw when the cameras faded away, they went over and talked to each other, which I found really interesting. Do you think that there's a way to make question period like that? Or is it just too, too hard to do that? Well, the question period, I'm going to say it's almost theatrical. Uh, what happens is it's a chance for the opposition parties to say, hey, look what this government is doing wrong. And on the other side, the government is saying, oh, no, 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 they're wrong. Look what we're doing right. And they have to make it effective. And it's a time when everybody is in the chamber. Uh, and it's more about questioning the government, making sure they're, the opposition is holding the government to account and make sure they're in line. Is it the best system in the world? I don't think the best system in the world exists right now. Uh, there's just different systems. But uh, one thing you'll notice is, like you said, what you see that visceral hate that's there really dissipates after question period. And you do see people going out for a drink, for a meal together. Uh, they'll discuss things amongst themselves, very friendly uh, and uh, very cooperatively. And what I encourage people to do is two things. One is, if they can, watch CPAC more often and watch what's going on in the chamber, not just question period. Then you'll actually see that discussion take place and you'll see a lot of it happen. Now, the second thing, if you can make it to Ottawa and see it in person and see what you saw, where you see two people about to kill each other during question period, and then suddenly question period's over and they go out and they talk and see if they can reach something, uh, some kind of agreement. And uh, I think that's what most Canadians need to see more of. Apparently, one of the things that has changed a lot uh, is uh, when they brought cameras into the chamber. And I talked to people who were there when they uh, brought cameras into the chamber and televised it. If they had to do it over again, they probably wouldn't because it really did change the atmosphere. And I was about your age when they brought cameras in the chamber. And I thought it was great because I was, a, I'm gonna say a political junkie. I really enjoyed watching politics and uh, reading the news, but to be able to actually see it live, that was something else. But it did change the, uh, the demeanor of the chamber. And uh, really quick, um... 
COVID, I know it feels like so long ago, right? Um, but it's been just about three years. But back in 2020, um, I think that for me, one of the most interesting things to watch out of it was kind of how the House of Commons adapted. And I know um, you produced like a, I think it's like a 10 minute video kind of outlining the process and what happened and how everything came together. But do you want to just kind of give us a little bit of an inside uh, some inside information. What was it like in those days of COVID just trying to figure out how the House of Commons can meet and do what needs to be done? Well, the best description I remember of uh, COVID was it wasn't day to day. It was just a six month day with naps somewhere along the line uh, between staff and uh, and uh, members of parliament trying to figure out, okay, how can we do this? We have a democracy to run. And we have to be here. We can't just do it uh, by mailing in a, a ballot or by by talking, kinda uh, discussing what's going on. We had decisions to make. Initially, it was just a matter of okay, how can we do the minimum or the maximum without going over the uh, the top? And uh, we went from everything to meeting online as a committee to bringing it so that we finally had full-fledged parliament online and to this day we still have uh parliament that can be parliamentarians who can access parliament uh virtually and we do have quite a few doing that uh on an ongoing basis the uh the, the whole thing came together with uh with staff proposing stuff bringing stuff forward uh seeing what would work what wouldn't work and what was interesting is during covid zoom became a, a word that nobody knew before but it was an everyday occurrence that we had meetings on zoom i met with my counterparts from around the world whether it was new zealand the united kingdom japan ukraine uh you name it we met on a regular basis as speakers to see what was working what the other was doing so that we could learn from each other. One of my favorite sayings is, I'd rather learn from someone else's mistakes than have to make mine all over again or start with them. So we learned from each other and it was really an interesting time, but it was a very uh, tiring time, I might add. Mr. Speaker, my last question for you uh, this afternoon, if you had to go back to when you were 14 or 15, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself? One of the biggest things that I would give my advice I would give to myself is don't be afraid to try stuff because what you're going to regret in life is what you didn't do not what you did and did wrong those things are going to be there and you can learn from them and those things you did sometimes you're going to actually do well with it and progress sometimes you're going to be very embarrassed and say oh man why did I do that but you know what you have to try stuff. Don't be afraid to make mistakes. That's the best piece of advice I think I can give myself if I was there. Because there was a lot of times where I thought, okay, I could do this, but maybe I'll hold back a bit and you miss an opportunity. So don't take, don't, don't ever miss an opportunity. There's all kinds of things that you can do. And uh, please uh, don't be shy and don't be afraid to make mistakes. Anthony Rhoda, thanks so much for coming on Political Debrief. Thank you very much, Josh. It's been a pleasure. And that's it for this episode of Political Debrief. Thank you, as always, for listening. I would invite you to check out the YouTube version of the show, which contains the video podcast. So if you want to see our faces while we chat, there's an option for you there. 
as well, I would invite you to subscribe to the podcast down below so you can get a notification whenever we post a new episode. As well, uh, please consider following me on all social media. I'm on Twitter slash X at Josh Oliverio and on Instagram and threads at Josh underscore Oliverio. Once again, those links are down below in the show notes. Thank you so much once again for listening to Political Debrief, and I look forward to seeing you very soon.